0: Media.
1: Totally Football Show. Today, raw drama. Premier League, Watford remove Pearson faster than you, meeting your new in-laws. While in the Cup, it's Arsenal-Chelsea in the final. Arsenal cooking with granite top and Uber on the counter and Man you like you after lockdown, needing to cut to hair. We rounded it all up. Welcome back Leeds to the Premier League and look ahead to a dramatic final seven days of the English season. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Yeah, the kinks there, listener, with the topical question right now, round Watford Way. How are you doing? It is the 20th of July, and I'm delighted to say we're joined today by Daniel Storey. Hi, James. By Michael Cox. Hi, James. And by Adrian Clark. Hello, thanks for having me. Not at all, Adrian. Always a, always a pleasure. Hello uh, to you all on, on What Is For Us. Listen, I have to say, a Sunday evening. Sunday evening immediately posts the Chelsea Man United FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. So much to discuss, though. DSK says, On the Totally Football Show on August the 8th, 2019, it was suggested that Watford are the best-run club in the Premier League. Maybe you should have a section for end-of-season bloopers. Crikey, who would have said that? Was it you, Daniel? Probably was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm
0: sticking with it, though. They had four managers in the season. They got promoted to the Premier League, so it works for them.
1: Brilliant. All right. Well, so many, so many storylines. Uh, let's start off though with the FA Cup, with the two big semi-finals, both featuring London sides taking on Mancunian opposition. And of course, uh, the result is that for the second time in twelve months, Arsenal and Chelsea will be facing off uh, for a cup, with almost none of their followers able to attend. <laughs> uh, then it was in Baku, the Europa League. This time. Of course, the FA Cup final at Wembley on August the 1st. Uh, Chelsea, 3-1 winners on Sunday against uh, Man United. Um, The big storyline here, I think, can be summarised by the fact that Roy Keane and Dean Henderson were both trending on Twitter during the game, Michael.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's what decided it, wasn't it? I mean, um, I thought this was... To be honest, after the, the previous night's semi-final, which I thought was a really intriguing game, I thought this was just quite poor quality. I thought both sides made a, a major tactical alteration to their starting eleven, and and just both seemed quite defensive and quite cautious and like they were reacting to the opposition rather than trying to play their own game and didn't really see where source of good chances was coming from really until De Gea made... I mean, I thought the first one was quite a big error, to be honest, and then the second one, obviously, absolutely no question about that. And then what happened at 2-0 I thought was fairly inconsequential to the game because it felt like it was already won, so... Yeah, just goalkeeping errors really was the thing that swung it for me. Mm -hmm.
1: Olivier Giroud uh, with the first goal, which caught De Gea out. The second one, no question really about it being uh, the goalkeeper's error.
3: It was an absolute shocker. It really was. I, I did think the first one he was to blame for as well. Although Olivier Giroud, is there a better player in world football at attacking a near post cross with the outside of your foot? I just don't think there is. Olivier Giroud is a true master at that, and and you've you've got to expect it. When the ball comes into the area, you've got to expect the worst as a defender, as a goalkeeper, and I don't think David De Gea did there. And and the second one was just awful. I mean, if Dean Henderson doesn't get a chance at the start of next season to be United's number one, it'll be a travesty, really, because this isn't a one-off. David De Gea has been a shadow, really. Of, of the goalkeeper we once knew this season. And, you know, Roy Keane is, uh, I, I sort of, I, you have to laugh at his his antics sometimes on air. I'm sure he plays up a little bit, but, but he was right about David De Gea and, and I think they need to, probably need to move on from him.
1: They need extreme measures to be taken against the keeper. No, you, you're probably right about the first goal. It, it's just that saying it was a goalkeeping error, I feel like it takes away from the, the glorious cheekiness of uh, Giroud's touch with the outside of his boot there. United beyond a hair, though, had won all three previous meetings this season—two in the league, one in the cup. Was it just the goalkeeper's performance that was different, or was there something else behind this Chelsea victory?
0: Well, they did. Ha- they obviously made a, a number of changes, which became, I think, inevitable once it became clear how tired they were against both against Southampton and against Crystal Palace in the second half. But it wasn't really, although they didn't play very well, it wasn't really the fault of. Of those that came in, that they lost the game. You know, Harry Maguire scores their own goal and somehow managed to stand out more and look clumsier in a in a three than a two. Eric Bayan and Victor Lindelof didn't. Lindelof lost Jury for the first goal. De Gea obviously made the mistakes. He's been number one all season. So I think that's kind of an easy explanation. Daniel James didn't offer anywhere near the same as Mason Greenwood has in the last few weeks. And he's, he's kind of tailed off badly this season. But other than that, I think. You could point to the changes for the lack of maybe the lack of intensity and the lack of hounding in midfield, but not really for the for the defeat itself. That it was just individual error, I think.
2: I mean, I, I guess the debate is going to be: should Solsha have have gone back to the system that had proved effective against Chelsea earlier in the season, as he did? or kept the side that has played well in recent weeks. Personally, when I saw the team selection, I thought it was a good call, a bold call, to go to the three at the back and play that way. What I think he could have done differently was just be braver in some selections. Because when you when you look at the side, it just does seem quite defensive. You know, Essentially, five defenders. I mean, Daniel James really has not done much after Christmas, and I thought that was a surprise selection here. I think you could have played um, Martial in that position and get him to play from wide. And then down the flanks, rather than uh, Bailly, and Wan-Bissaka, I mean, Wan-Bissaka, I think, is perfectly suited to the right side of a three-man defence rather than playing as wing-back. Maybe you could have played Daniel James there as a wing-back and played Wan-Bissaka as a right-sided centre-back. It just brings a little bit more attacking intent to the side. And the other thing I'd say is, you know, he took the opportunity with that um, Eric Bailey uh, injury to bring on Martial and go back to the the four at the back. I'm surprised at halftime he didn't then go for Pogba straight away. Because that, you know, he was returning to the system that's worked well in recent weeks. And to me, it seemed like Fred was well off the pace. So I would have just immediately put Matic as the sole holding midfielder and injected Pogba. Whether that would
1: have changed things, we, we don't know, of course. Beyond what United did or didn't do, though, was this game a uh, fabulous Chelsea performance? Or was this evidence that uh, Frank Lampard
3: can progress, that he is
1: developing as a manager and Chelsea are going places?
3: Well, he's learning on the job, isn't he, Frank Lampard? I think he's he is improving. Um, he's used this formation in several big matches this season for Chelsea and, and it's worked more often than it hasn't worked. So I think it's, it's the right system for them. I think, actually, just as it is with Arsenal at the moment, Arsenal do not have good enough defenders to play with a back four against elite opposition right now. That's why they've gone to three and it worked spectacularly against City and and against Liverpool. It's a similar case, I think for Chelsea. I don't know if Frank really trusts his centre halves at the moment, especially in a back four. And I I just feel it's the right system for them at the moment. And uh, and, and that was why I felt Chelsea had the tactical edge. It, It was a system that suited them today. For me, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer picked his shape around the players that he wanted to rest and leave out. It was like, right, what am I left with? Okay, which formation works for that? And and and, he, and he's gone with James as a, as a wide forward of sorts, and and yeah, and other, other selections. I just don't think it it clicked for them.
1: So he's prioritising the the league campaign there.
3: Yeah, this is issue, this is priority number 3, isn't it? Clearly the Champions League is up for grabs in the Premier League, so he needs to pick his best team for that. And and obviously if they do miss out, then they've also got the backstop of the of the Europa League where where you have to consider them favorites. So although he didn't throw the FA Cup semi-final, of course he didn't. He certainly didn't pick his strongest available side.
0: I think the other thing it shows is that Chelsea clearly have greater strength in depth than Manchester United. You know They didn't have Christian Pulisic, they didn't have N'Golo Kante, but you look at the players they were still able to bring off the bench, and, and Tammy Abraham and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, there's clearly a greater strength there. Manchester United have, have been brilliant with that first choice eleven, and there's a reason why Solskjaer keeps picking them for every league game and um, and playing that front foot football because it suits them. But Beyond that, scratch below the surface and there's really very little left in the cupboard for him to call upon. Um, and that is what he needs to push the club to solve this, this summer, if, if they're going to be pushing for any more than exactly the same again next season.
4: You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. And if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, make sure you check out their coverage of each and every Premier League club by taking out a free 30-day trial by heading to theathletic.com slash totally.
2: And he just a chip one in behind. Lovely ball that for Aubameyang. who has got Lacazette up there with him. This could be another goal, could it? It is Aubameyang. And Arsenal have done it again.
1: Chelsea anyway reaching the FA Cup final for the third time in four years. Where they will be facing Arsenal, who did on Saturday put out the holders. It's only a week ago that we were here discussing Arsenal losing to Spurs and Arteta being locked into the same issues that had plagued and bedevilled all his predecessors. And in the meantime, in the interim, he's gone on and beat, or Arsenal have gone on and beaten, the last two Premier League champions in succession. Adrian, what has happened?
3: <laughs> well, they've focused on on defence, that is for sure, and and the players have played with incredible discipline. A lot, a lot of. I, I do believe and this is nothing to do with football but but I believe that he he is a strict disciplinarian Mikel Arteta we've seen that with his treatment of Matteo Guendouzi to some degree Mesut Özil as well that was that was a big line in the sand and I think that the players have full respect for him and and and, and they're also buying into his methods there was real concentration and discipline in both performances I just, I just felt it was, it was quite inspired, really, in terms of, of several individuals within the team. David Luiz had his once-a-season heroic effort, didn't he? Every now and again, he, he just produces these displays that, that remind you why he's had such a long career at the highest level. Kieran Tierney was exceptional um, by his side, playing as a narrow centre-back. Granit Xhaka, I think, produces his best first half ever in an Arsenal shirt. He, he, he was magnificent. And, and, and throughout the team, there was just a, a real unity. And and, and Arteta clearly realised City's weaknesses. He knew what they didn't like facing. And the players went and implemented that game plan properly. And, and for the two goals, I don't think it's any coincidence that, that City's full-backs were exposed. That's clearly the weak link with them, with Mendy and Walker, not great defenders. And for both goals, Carl Walker switched off um, actually, for both goals, both players switched off because Mendy was playing playing a on onside as well. So, um, so yeah, I think Arteta just had Pep's measure on this one.
1: I hear he used to be Guardiola's assistant. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> it, Wait, is this this is a one-off? You feel for for David? Leeds. This is the exception rather than what happened last time he took on Man City. A lot of people have been painting this as the, the game of redemption for the Brazilian for Granit Xhaka and possibly one or two other players as well. Michael, what do you think? Do you see green shoots here? Yeah, I mean, I've been really impressed with
2: Arteta overall, as I've said. I think at times here they rode their luck. I thought a nil-nil. Arsenal were really on the back foot in in not a tactical way. I think they were just struggling to get out of their own third. But they did have a... I mean, they had that good Aubameyang chance even before the opening goal. Um, And I thought after they went 1-0 up, they played it pretty well. They were relatively comfortable I'd say for long periods when they were defending deep they did offer a counter-attacking threat and I think it's significant that both goals came in different ways from being calm and patient when they played out from the back I mean I've written an article today for The Athletic all about their their patience and I I contrasted it with a game that was the first game of Emery's reign um, at the Emirates against Manchester City last year, where Arsenal tried to play out from the back early. It went wrong, and the crowd were really getting on their back, and eventually Czech just hoofed it downfield, and all the Arsenal fans sarcastically cheered. I think the fact there was no fans here after the early era they had where they played out from the back might have helped them, because actually I think it's probably easier to do that in a kind of situation where you're not surrounded by 90,000 fans. And the first goal was absolutely brilliant, a brilliant example of playing forward. And uh, yeah, I thought the. The system Arteta used work really well and um, yeah, a huge, I'd say a really big moment for him as a manager. I mean, the Liverpool result, I think, was slightly fortunate and this question marks about Liverpool's motivation. But to beat Manchester City in an FA Cup semi-final, I think, was really impressive.
1: Adrian, having having played at this level, is, is that fair that... Um,
3: One of the reasons Arsenal are doing better now is that they don't have the crowd on their backs. (laughs)
1: Uh,
3: (laughs) Oh, it's a big question. I I think you could say yes and no. I I definitely think Michael's got a point on, on the playing out from the back because fans in general are a bag of nerves when teams play out from the back. Maybe unless you're a City fan because you're so used to it and you know that they're pretty brilliant at it. Arsenal fans don't really trust Mustafi. David Luiz and and these guys at the at the back when they've got the ball at their feet. So yes, I think that in in that sense it may well have helped. And those the two goals came from sort of full length of the pitch moves, didn't they? also felt that turnovers were going to be really important in this game. We know that City like to play out themselves, and and Arsenal were never going to have much of the ball in this game. Therefore, it was absolutely imperative when City did play out from the back. They were really assertive and aggressive in the way they tried to nick the ball. Because basically, working the ball that far up the pitch wasn't going to happen too often in the game. And uh, and and really, Abamyang should have scored from one of the turnovers, if not from two. So so yeah, Arteta, I think definitely. Uh, had the right idea here, but but I would credit the players just just purely for their focus. It was a million times better in the performance against Liverpool, which I thought was a little bit lucky. If I'm if I'm honest, there was a bit of good fortune here with City's poor finishing, but um, but to limit them to one shot on target is amazing. And, th- and there's a stat that that I discovered today that in a domestic match, City you have to go all the way back to March 2017 when they played Stoke. For the last time, they had just one shot on target in a domestic game. So look, that's, that, that's an achievement for Arsenal.
0: It's also, I think, a, a victory that is greater than the sum of its own immediate impact because Arteta over the last week has made no secret of his public demand for the club to back him in the transfer market. And if Arsenal had, had fallen with a whimper to Liverpool and Manchester City, that there might be the sense within the Arsenal boardroom of, we we'll kind of watch the point. All we're going to be playing for is exactly this again next season. So why throw 150 million at it? But actually they have someone now that fans trust implicitly, which they, they didn't do with Unai Emery and they didn't do with Arsene Wenger during the last two years. It's a long time since this support has been completely united behind a manager. But they are now. And Arteta has that bargaining chip within the club's hierarchy to say, hang on a minute, I've shown you what I can do by improving what I inherited. Now give me a chance to put some shine on that. Now give me a chance to improve the parts of the team that have pretty obvious flaws in them and build something a little bit more special.
1: Part of that might be keeping hold of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who may have missed a few chances on Saturday,
3: Uh, also scored some pretty special goals, Adrian. (laughs) Not not half. I mean, yeah, it was was an easy chance. I think that 1v1, he he tucks it in the bottom corner eight times out of ten. But but the the half volley w- was exquisite technique and and for it to come just a few minutes after that glaring miss a thing is is the mark of a real world class forward because he didn't let that affect him and, and and it was it was instinctive brilliance good ball from Pepe as well the second goal he, he had all the time in the world but but was ice cold just deliberately went through the legs but yeah Bamiang, you hope don't you and Arteta did reference this afterwards you do hope that 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 kind of special nights might just persuade him to stick around and and believe in the Arteta project. Um, There's no doubt he could get a club in the Champions League if he wants one. But Arsenal fans do love him. Arteta clearly does. He's the skipper. He's got the chance potentially to be part of a a resurrected Arsenal. Arsenal fans desperate for him to stay.
2: Mm,
1: Indeed so. Any further thoughts on this weekend of FA Cup semi-finals?
0: I mean, it's worth making the the point, as excellent as Arsenal were, it's another capitulation for Manchester City and another game in which they've proven themselves incapable of getting back into a match having fallen behind, which has been their biggest issue under Pep Guardiola. There's some incredible stat about Manchester City, which I think goes back to about 1995, about their inability to win games when they're losing at half-time. But in general, their inability to react and the way that goals seem to hurt them, doesn't bode particularly well for a, a mini knockout tournament in Portugal in you know over the next month or so because mm, assuming um, they get to it exactly they, they've got a very difficult second leg against Real Madrid that, that look in very different health than they did when when City beat them and City look in different health too because um score early or and score first against them and it feels like you can get into their heads a little bit
3: Daniel, I've got a stat on that, um, because I did a bit of prep for the show that I do for Arsenal TV uh, yesterday. Um, I was talking about the need to score first. Now, in their previous 10 defeats, it's now 11, previous 10 defeats, they'd gone 1-0 down nine times, um, but they'd gone 2-0 down six times. So they, they've now gone 2-0 down in seven of their 11 defeats which, which which certainly backs up the point you make and, and look ahead of that Real Madrid game that, that's a, a slightly worrying statistic I'd imagine for Pear Pan for City fans.
1: Well that was the FA Cup looking forward to the final on the 1st of August. Uh, meanwhile though on Sunday, threatening to upstage all of that, was the Premier League you had Bournemouth battling for their top flight future, you had Leicester scrapping for their top four spot and you had Watford kicking it all off by firing Nigel Pearson with just two games to go in the season. We'll be discussing that and more next. I thought I'd never see you again.
4: I missed how you made me feel, the excitement you brought me, but I never stopped loving
1: you. Did you just say something, mate? Or, oh, Just looking at the Premier League fixtures like... Absence makes the heart grow fonder, so it's never been a better time to be a football fan. Celebrate with the Acker Cracker from Paddy Power. It covers all games on all markets, and if one leg folds, you get a free bet. Paddy Power. Max free bet, £10. Minimum odds of 1-5 to five on for each leg. T's and C's apply, 18 gambleware.org. Listeners, it's time to talk about shaving. It's time to talk about Harry's. Just because I've been rocking a beard since the mid-90s doesn't mean I don't need to get my shave on. My neck and upper cheek always need attention. The good news is... Harry's Cucumber and Aloe Shave Gel lathers into a luxurious foam, allowing their precision-engineered blades to glide across your face, making you look smooth and handsome. What's more, Harry's razors have a non-slip handle with a textured grip, more Allison Becker, say, than Loris Carius. So if you're fed up with overpriced razors, why not get yourself a Harry's Trial Set sent right to your door for just £3.95. It's got everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. That aforementioned handle in your choice of blue, orange or green, a five-blade razor cartridge with a lubricating strip, a trimmer blade, that rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. All you have to do is head to harrys.com slash totallyfootball. That's harrys.com slash totallyfootball.
4: You're listening to The Totally Verbal Show with James Richardson.
1: So, Sunday morning, the man, famous for his ostrich press conference, himself ostrich-sized by his club, Watford letting Nigel Pearson go, with two matches remaining in the season. He's the third manager, they've sacked his campaign, the second one after a 3-1 defeat by West Ham. It was the same scenario that preceded Javi Gracia uh, departing the club, but pearson leaving the hornets three points outside the drop zone having inherited them six points from safety why what now all those kind of things let's ask a man in the know paging mike parkin of from the rookery end podcast mike thank you for joining us on this fateful sunday evening first of all the nation of gog for nigel pearson answers why why now I mean,
5: you can look at it too. There's, there's two possible options at play here. I think one of them is the pretty poor run of form. I think since lockdown, Watford haven't performed as they'd have hoped in a, in a bid to get clear of this. They've had seven matches, and in each of those seven matches, the first half performance has been re- really, really bad, lacking in any intensity. Um, so that is something, obviously, something to look at. Um, but potentially, there's rumours, sort of stories circulating of uh, of certainly a disagreement at some stage during the game on on Friday, which would make sense if you bear in mind the performance, but probably the biggest game in, in Watford's Premier League history against West Ham on Friday night. They obviously lost it 3-1 after going in at half-time, 3-0 down. So I think there's, there's some suggestion that, that that game was has lit the blue touch paper, shall we say.
1: Yeah, the fact that they didn't wait for the end of the season or even for the end of the Bournemouth result, which does mm. leave them pretty well placed to stay up, suggests there'd been a, a major falling out so in terms of rumours there wasn't any kind of there weren't any kind of undercurrents of unrest between Pearson say and the Podso family
5: not that I'm aware of James no I mean the only thing that we can look at is is Those first half performances from these games have been really sort of getting at me. It's been very hard to understand why a team in such terrible trouble in a relegation battle hasn't been able to to translate the sort of urgency of the situation into urgent performances on the pitch. And that did sort of, it has been a red flag for some, but certainly no no concrete indication that that there was any problem with with relationships behind the scenes but the 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 results and the performances have certainly given us cause to believe that something might not be quite right it's it hasn't felt it hasn't felt as we'd expect it to feel
1: since lockdown if that makes sense Hayden Mullins steps in for the second time this season and his first game in charge will be Manchester City at home on Tuesday the campaign ends with Arsenal away so how confident are you about his and the team's prospects of staying in the Premier League, Mike?
5: Um, about as confident as the next manager lasting more than six months, I think. It's, go- it's going to be very, very difficult. I think um, Watford, Villa and Bournemouth its still all to play for for all three sides. Watford have by far and away got the, the hardest run in. Um, Villa go to... Um, Villa go to West Ham on the last day who are already safe and Bournemouth go to Everton who are in a, in a similar situation and haven't been in great form themselves so I think as Watford supporters we're expecting Villa and Bournemouth certainly to get three points on the final day so with that in mind it's looking like a damage limitation exercise for Watford on Tuesday night their record against Manchester City over the past couple of seasons has been absolutely horrendous um, I won't even try to add up the the amount
1: of goals it takes I think it well, probably f- takes 14 a can- in pure maths No, no, 14 in the last two. Thank you, James. Uh, and, yeah, and none scored. Uh, 14 conceded. <laughs> yeah, see, so
5: you can, uh, you can understand why I'm perhaps a little bit uh, reticent to, to look forward to it with too much glee. So I think, ge- genuinely speaking, and this does sound a little bit defeatist, but I think Tuesday will be damage limitation. Try and keep the goals down so that the, the the goal difference doesn't take too much of a hammering going into that that nerve-jangling final day. I think it's, at the moment, it's a toss of a coin. I think those three points Watford are out ahead is a bit of a, uh, a misnomer because then they've got Arsenal on the last day and anything could happen in that one. So Watford do have the upper hand in the three points, but I think I think it's going to go down to that last day and potentially goal difference.
3: Mike, were the fans okay with Pearson and his work? Because from the outside looking in, it seemed to me like he, he just found his best team. Well, certainly his best forward line with Welbeck one side, mm. Saar the other, and De Kure behind Welbeck. I'd imagine that there were very few Hornets fans un, unhappy with that. I mean, do, do you think he was doing... Anything wrong,
5: tactically? The, the post-lockdown form has been really concerning, actually. And I think we as Watford supporters expected more post-lockdown. We thought Nigel Pearson, Craig Shakespeare, excellent man managers. And as you mentioned there, there is talent in this Watford squad. So we were hoping that they'd come out, all guns firing, hit the ground running. I'll, I'll leave the clichés there. But you know what I mean, just to... Dragged themselves clear. They had a couple of winnable games early on, and there has been definite concern about the about the post-lockdown form. It's been very, very curious and, and hard to put put our fingers on it. So there's been disappointment in that that respect. But if you look at Nigel Pearson's body of work over the piece, Watford had had nine points when he came in at, at, at about Christmas time. They were cut adrift um, at the bottom. They were some way clear of getting clear of relegation. So for him to have manoeuvred Watford into a situation where where we're in with a chance going into the final week is cause for, for praise really it's, they've done an incredible job to to turn it round and, and obviously still in with a chance and there have been some notable results along the way Wolves, uh, Manchester United and and, and Liverpool all, all lost at, at Vicarage Road so largely speaking Nigel Pearson's done an incredible job and I think Watford supporters were happy with him it's just this last seven games, this post-lockdown period has left people feeling a little bit bewildered, baffled and not quite sure as to whether he is actually the man to, to take Watford forward. So it's been just been a curious, curious couple of
1: months. Right, well, the bewilderment only increasing after Sunday's events. Mike, thank you so much for joining us with that and uh, look forward to discovering more about the background to Sunday's decision. But uh, best of luck for the week ahead. Thank you very much, chaps. Mike Parkin of From the Rookery End podcast, the latest edition of which should be out very soon, actually. Yeah, one or two stories flying around about the row during the West Ham defeat and indeed afterwards uh, that uh, has presumably sparked this decision.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think if Watford had immediately announced a permanent, in inverted commas, given that it's Watford's successor to Pearson, then... Um, we could think that this was about style of play. The fact that they've given the job to Hayden Mullins again for two games suggests that there's been a massive row and, and that's what the story suggests, that there's a, a kind of untenable row between Pozzo and Pearson that ended in him being sacked. The interesting thing for me is that they asked Craig Shakespeare to stay on for two games to do it, his assistant, which given how close Shakespeare and Pearson are and how close Shakespeare and the Pozzo family aren't, seems an extraordinary bold move. And, Shakespeare by all accounts gave him pretty short shrift and said he would be sticking with Pearson.
1: West Ham gave him short shrift as well. Well done, David Moyes, eh? Last six results. They've beaten Chelsea 3 2, they put four past Norwich, and then this key game, they win 3 1. David Moyes keeping the hammers up for the second time. There's been a lot of negativity about the chosen one. But I say it's time to give him a round of applause, eh, Michael?
2: Yeah, I thought West Ham's owners, who I'm not a particular fan of, and I, I do think there's major questions to ask about their ownership in general. I, I don't think it was a bad move going back to Moyes, actually, because they brought him in They brought him in twice to do a very specific job. And I think when you take it every step of the way, I understand their decisions. I understand why they wanted to move on from Moyes, who's quite a defensive short-term manager in, in a way that he does a good job. Um, to stabilise the side and wanted to move on to Pellegrini. And I thought that was a decent appointment. That didn't work out. And in a way, I thought it was quite a brave move to go back to Moyes. Um, whether he's you know, he got a contract for next year because he wasn't going to take just a six-month contract. You're in the same situation as you were, what, two seasons ago? I appreciate that. Whether he's the man to take them forward, I don't know. But I think he's he has stabilised the side. He's got the best in recent weeks from... Uh, the likes of Jared Bowen, I've been really impressed by on the right. Obviously, Mik- Mikhail Antonio up front. Suchek as well, a player I really didn't know much about in January. has come in and done a really good job. So this was a big, I mean, a huge victory for them uh, at the bottom of the table. Just seals their survival, doesn't it? So, yeah, I'm relatively pleased for Moyes, who I think tends to get a little bit of a harsh rap.
1: Well, uh, earlier on Sunday, another big game down the bottom saw Bournemouth beaten 2-0 by Saints. Uh, Danny Ings as usual on the score sheet although subsequently had a penalty saved he's on 21 for the season and then uh, in stoppage time that equaliser that Bournemouth thought they had from Sam Surridge disallowed for offside and Shea Adams uh, nipping in for Saints to wrap up the victory heartbreak again for Bournemouth is that it? if Watford get a point against Man City on Tuesday it is the Cherries will be relegated if City win Bournemouth must win at Goodison Park on the final day to have any chance of staying up. That sounds doable to me.
3: I think so. Yeah, Everton aren't playing especially well at the moment. And Bournemouth, I thought, were brilliant at Manchester City. Unlucky, really, to to lose that game. And and they started fabulously against Southampton. They really did. They they, they were tearing down the wings. I thought Stanislas was having another good game. And and they they were flashing balls across the box. It was just the finish that was missing. If they can just find that finishing touch, they've got a chance against an Everton team that really have got nothing to play for. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't rule them out at all there. Um, the issue all season for me with Bournemouth has been creativity, though. It's I mean They've gone backwards in that regard hugely. They're always under Eddie Howe. Created loads of chances, scored quite a few goals, but leaked loads. This year, they've still leaked loads, but but at the top end of the pitch, they they've plummeted. I think there's only one side in the division that that creates less than Bournemouth from open play. So so that that really is the reason why why they're in this model.
0: Basically, yeah, Bournemouth are our Arsenal fans for the week because Villa play Arsenal on, on Tuesday night and then Watford play Arsenal on the final weekend. If they do beat Everton and and we assume Watford take up no points against Man City and Arsenal, which is an assumption, obviously, it only takes Villa to lose to Arsenal and then Bournemouth to win on the final day and they should be safe. Um, Which is remarkable given how bad they've been over the last three or four months. And if they play like they did in the first half against Southampton, like Adrian says, they probably will beat Everton. Um, but it is clearly firmly out of their own hands now. And they did look absolutely broken. Exactly the same as Villa looked broken by the fear Walcott equaliser against Everton. Mm-hmm. They looked broken by that disallowed goal. And you just kind of think, with with this relentless schedule, how hard is it going to be to pick up those players again?
3: Do you guys feel that that Eddie Howe looks a bit broken? Because it just seems to me that, that he's had this sort of vacant yeah. look in his eyes for, for quite a while now.
2: No, I, I agree completely with Adrian. And I think... You know, we tend to think about managers keeping their jobs or losing their jobs as kind of a reward for past performance. But with how I actually think it's the opposite, in the sense that if they go down, I think I'd stick with him because he's he's shown that he, he's got what it takes to get them up in the first place. But if they do stay up, it just seems to me like they've a little bit run out of ideas. And, you know, sometimes coaches just reach a point where they've said everything they can say to a group of players. And in terms of Premier League survival maybe you'd look to get someone else in. So, yeah, no, I agree with Adrian. He just looks really at the end of his tether and slightly, you know, just lacking in ideas, I think.
1: Mm. On the subject of the Gunners being the uh, Bournemouth team of necessity for the next seven days, Mike asks, are Arsenal actually better off resting players in their last two league games, given that the FA Cup final is likely their best chance of Europa League qualification?
2: Well I think it's I mean it's a week isn't it between the last game of the season and the Saturday so I mean I think tactically they'll be working on the training ground with a view to to playing against Chelsea certainly but whether they need to rest players
1: I'm not so sure Okay Uh, European places is what we're going to be talking about next as we focus on the top four You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power Big news in the race for Champions League places came on Sunday afternoon as Leicester were defeated 3 0 by Tottenham Hotspur, uh, leaving Chelsea, Leicester and Man United still separated by just one point in a race for two Champions League spots. Of course, Chelsea and Man United now have a game in hand on the Foxes. Uh, before we talk about Leicester and their prospects, let's have some Mourinho love. Uh, that's what five games since the defeat to Sheffield United, in which Spurs have picked up four wins and a draw, and they're really looking like a Mourinho team now, eh?
0: Yeah, not just in the the kind of defensive solidity um, as Plan A, B, and C, but also as a kind of counter-attacking team. They have been helped by, and this is not to to try and undersell their recent win of form, but they were helped usually by a very poor Leicester team, but. Mourinho seems to have found a way to get Harry Kane and Hyungman's Son as a partnership. I know Kane will always get the headlines because he, he's brilliant, but to manage to get Son and Kane working off each other and Lucas Moura as kind of the roaming third member of that trio, um, that looks to be fixed. Um, and central midfield looks good as well. Harry Wink- I thought Harry Winks was probably the best player against Leicester. Um, when he plays well, I think they tend to play well. And it's saddened me because I don't think he plays well as often as I'd like. I think he could be England's answer if he, if he kept it consistently. But he, he was excellently ticking over possession. And Giovanni lacelso is, I don't know, probably, Kane aside, maybe been their player of the season. So I think once they get those elements right, it very quickly looks like things can fall into place because they will always be, or they should always be, solid at the back when they play like this.
1: Well, they're up to sixth place now, four points behind Jose's former employers, Man United. Leicester, meanwhile, level with Man United, but it's very precarious indeed. A lot's been said about the 14-point lead they had over fifth place back around the turn of the year and how that's dissipated. And a lot of fingers, I think, pointed at Brendan Rodgers. Is that entirely fair? Do you think it's injuries? Is it the the, the sheen coming off for Rodgers as as manager? (laughs) Where, where, Where do you feel that this has all gone wrong for the Foxes?
3: I think that injuries have mainly been the problem. When you lose Cheerwill, Madison, Ricardo, obviously Sue and Chu um, for, for the last couple of games, it, it's going to make a big difference. You've got to remember that Leicester had the most stable starting eleven in the Premier League pre lockdown. It was a four one, four one and we could all name every single player in the lineup. He barely changed it. And it worked. It was it was a nice little groove. Into March or early March late February they, they were going a bit flat anyway but since then of course they, they've had injuries and what he's done is is not only have to bring in squad players that, that didn't have a great deal of, of match practice clearly not as good the likes of Ryan Bennett and, and Justin and, and, and these guys, uh, Wes Morgan, of course, he's been on the bench for a reason this season. Um, not only did he, did he have to rely on squad players, he's had to change the shape as well, or he's chosen to change the shape. So there's been a lot of disruption for Leicester City, and I, I think that is the main reason. You, you can look at games like Bournemouth in isolation and say, yeah, it was a, the, the character let them down, there, there wasn't much much spirit there. And that was true, but I think it's a culmination of just too many changes.
0: Losing both those fullbacks and losing Pereira in particular is massive because it's made them so much easier to defend. Because if you're not, you know, with all due respect to James Justin and, and Christian Fuchs, they're not going to create the same number of chances as Tirwell as and Pereira. They were arguably the second best pair of fullbacks in the league behind Liverpool's, So which just means that you can cram the centre of the pitch. You can starve Madison of space, you can starve Vardy of space, and everything just begins to look a bit. Staccato and lethargic, I think. And to be fair, that is the one criticism of Brendan Rodgers' career. Even at you know, even at Celtic, how well he did there, their supporters will tell you, possibly with a touch of bitterness in their voices, that <laughs> this was the problem. That they they would in games they weren't expected to win when the pressure got on, it felt like Rodgers lost his bottle a little bit and just went safety first.
2: I mean, it's worth keeping some perspective with Leicester. I know there's been a massive downturn since. February maybe but I mean if you'd said at the start of the season that Leicester would be in this position you know challenging Chelsea and Manchester United and probably going to the final day with the opportunity to finish in the Champions League positions you would have said they've had a really good season so I hope people aren't too harsh on Rodgers because I still think he's massively overachieving with this side.
1: I think with Rodgers there's a slight tendency to, to pile on when, when things take a downturn just because of the perceived character that he has, I agree. the perceived I- notion he has of himself.
2: I agree, and I think that has really, really affected his reputation when you consider that he's been at three big ish clubs, or he's had three big jobs, I'd say, in Swansea, Liverpool, Celtic, and he did a really good job at all of them. And yet, when Leicester appointed him, people were questioning why. You know, he, he consistently does do a good job, but does seem to. Irritate people, doesn't it? Well,
3: he they? seems like a nice enough guy to me. The players players seem to get on okay with him, don't, don't they? It's, and, he, and I know that the, the media that he deals with after matches, they're very happy with, with Brendan. He's always accommodating. Yeah, mm. I thought you were going to say a comedy. But, uh... <laughs> well, he's, he's, <laughs> he's a little bit David Brent. We know that, don't we? But, but yeah, well, I'm sure we can forgive him for that, surely.
1: It's going to be a huge final day of the season midweek. As mentioned, Man United take on West Ham Liverpool Uh, are hosting Chelsea and then Leicester on the final day have Man United round at theirs. Effectively, probably to decide who gets that Champions League spot. Wow. Alright, well next up Tales of Leeds United who as you may have heard are now up from the Championship and back in the top flight after 16 long years.
2: Tears on the terraces. Tears on the field. I'm sure tears... The dressing room as well. It'll be a long,
6: long road back for Leeds United. But with supporters like
1: those, it could be shorter. Well, just the 16 years after that dramatic afternoon, sixteen years, 15 managers, five owners, Leeds United are back. The club that became a byword for mismanagement and collapse, doing a Leeds effectively, now looking a very different kind of outfit. Confirming promotion on Friday, thanks to Rivals West Brom, getting done by Huddersfield. And joining us now to discuss Leeds being back in the Premier League is Phil Hay, Athletics Leeds correspondent and, of course, host of The Phil Hay Show. Phil, thanks for joining us. Uh, First of all, how is uh, the city dealing with this latest development?
7: Well, it's difficult because we still have COVID restrictions in place and they were never going to stay indoors en masse um, on Friday. And, and when, when it was confirmed that Leeds were up, there were about 5,000 outside Elland Road and flares and, and fireworks and, and everything else. And I find it very hard to begrudge them that, despite you know the kind of pressure to distance at the moment, because it, it's difficult to explain exactly what the last 16 years have been like. It, it hasn't even just been mediocre. There have been points in it where it's been horrendous. It's been administration, insolvency. Um, you you've had owners who've been who've looked totally out of their depth and, and have from, you know, our standpoint, looked like they were doing more damage than good to Leeds. And and there were genuinely times where you wondered if it would ever happen. And I have to say if it hadn't happened this season under Bielsa, I think financially and and in terms of the structure of the club, they would have had problems over the summer. I think they would have had to have cut back. I'm not not convinced that they would have found a way for Bielsa to stay or to to give them a squad that could have competed like this one. So people understood the enormity of it. And and because of that, it has been three or four days of drinking and, and I didn't expect anything less. And the one sad thing about this is that had it been a normal season and had it been normal times minus any Covid restrictions you would have seen hundreds of thousands on the street in Leeds it would have been identical to the 92 title win and, and promotion in 1990 you would have had people everywhere and, and you know I, I, I sympathise really that that's been taken from the city because it, it would have been a, a huge day but but nonetheless people are taking it for what it is and, and are, are very very grateful to be also.
1: Phil for any 16 year olds listening how big a deal is it having Leeds back in the top flight? <laughs>
7: It is. I mean, it's always been the case that when people have said you need leads back in in the Premier League, that you have to see it in the context of a club who actually, in in a lot of respects, their organisation and and the recruitment and their choice of head coaches and so on, haven't actually deserved to be at that level for a long time now. There have been very few seasons where they've looked like a Premier League side in the wrong division or where they've looked like they've got anything like the structure um, or the vision or the plan to get there. They've been in the championship for 10 years and, and actually have floated in it for the best part of eight. This is under Bielsa. This is the first time they've really looked like boss in the division, it's it's the first time they've been able to bully the rest of the division. But it's a big story, um, and I think you saw from the, the reaction to the promotion on Friday night and the interest in it on Twitter and social media and everybody else that, that people are pretty intrigued by what comes next year.
1: Similarly, the Bielsa burnout doesn't seem to happen this time. Has he changed? Or was it a benefit of the long suspension this season has had?
7: That might well have made the difference. Uh, and, and he has changed to a degree this season. It, it isn't vastly different. And he doesn't crack the whip in a way that you would, if you were looking on, would make you think that he was going easy on them. But he did learn to, to back off slightly. There, there was quite a key moment um, in the game recently against Stoke City at Ellen Road, which leads 1-5-0. He, he had Hernandez on the bench for that game, who had a, a slight hamstring strain, but but had recovered enough to be in the squad. And he, he put him on at half-time, but then took him off again game before the end of the game. And and it is just little things like starting to manage players' bodies, You know, to know that there was no need to push Hernandez to the end of that because the game was already won, so take a bit of care. There are times where... He doesn't flog them in quite the same way as he did last season. But in terms of the burnout, I, I think there are two aspects of it with Bielsa. You're either talking physically um, or mentally or, or in some cases both. And I didn't think that they burnt out physically at all last season. I, I thought they they were they still had plenty in the tank. But I think mentally they did get stressed. I think the nerves did get to them. They, they seemed better prepared to handle what was coming. And, and they finished this off pretty emphatically. And, and as it turns out, they're, they're probably going to win the league by a good six seven points something like that which is no easy going in the championship
1: what do you think is going to happen to Leeds in the premier league
7: well i'm sure they'll retain bielsa they'll, they'll speak to him this week um he wants to stay they want to keep him that kind of goes without saying but as ever with bielsa it's not always that straightforward they'll need to obviously meet him in terms of um the the actual strict aspects of the finances and, and the contract itself but there are always things that bielsa looks for beyond that which is transfer strategy and, and infrastructure changes the training ground and, and to his his backroom team. But I, I don't see Leeds objecting to anything that he asks if it's if it's reasonable and the way he's been in the two years here I'm I'm sure it will be. He'll take a lot of these players with him. Um they will sign players but I think we spoke to Angus Kinnear yesterday. I I think you'll be looking at four or five rather than eight, nine or ten. And I suspect that the, the starting lineup on the first day of next season in the Premier League will be very, very similar to his strongest lineup this season in the Championship. And and tactically, I don't see a big shift coming either. And that is probably the, the big question for Bielsa. Is it going to work for him when he tries these tactics in the Premier League? If it does, I, I can see Leeds being, being very comfortable next season. If it doesn't, then it isn't really Bielsa's way to adapt and to, to change his strategy. His attitude tends to be to redouble it um, and to trust that it will come good eventually. So... He is an unknown quantity in that league, although I think that the league will be absolutely delighted to have him, and it'll be, you know, stories galore with him. And a lot of these players are unknown quantities as well, so it would it would be difficult making predictions at the moment. Aside from to say that he will trust a lot of them, and I don't expect many of them to leave the club.
1: And Phil, sixteen years they've been waiting for this in Leeds. How long have you been following the club?
7: Fifteen years for me. Um, I the, the first game I ever covered for them was the two thousand and six Player Final and they lost to um, lost to Watford. And I actually joined the, the Yorkshire Evening Post the week that the Yorkshire Consortium bought them in 2004 and literally about two or three weeks before they were relegated. So I've seen the League One years and I've seen the, the kind of wasted drift of the, the championship years when they, they didn't compete. There was a season under Simon Grayson where it looked possible, certainly the playoffs looked possible. There was a season under Gary Monk where you thought they would get to the top six. But I think with Bielsa, it, it's the first time... That you genuinely thought that they'd they'd managed to land on somebody who might not only get them up but get them up automatically, and, and as it turns out, win the title. I think he he had this potential, and and he's delivered on it.
1: Phil Hay of the Phil Hay Show. Leeds, are they a big addition to the Premier League? Daniel.
0: Yeah, I mean, they they undoubtedly are. You'll look through their fixture list next season. It's very rare that you see a match between a member of the big six and a promoted club and think that is appointment television. But the reality is, is it will be appointment television because they are a big club and it will be fascinating to see not only how Leeds get on back in the Premier League, but how Marcelo Bielsa reacts to the Premier League because um, it's a heck of a different league to the Championship, that's for sure. And what he's done in the Championship has worked. Um, albeit with questions about burnout, etc. Um, but you look through that squad, and um, there are a few who you would you would you back to make it in the Premier League. But the reality is, as we said that about Norwich's players a year ago, and they've been found pretty wanting in the Premier League. Players like Ben White, whose loan ends, if they can't get deals like that done permanently, there's a, an awful lot of surgery to do on that squad moving forward, unless. Bielsa feels he can squeeze even more out of them. But it it does feel like, and this is a compliment, not an insult, it feels like he's squeezed everything out of that squad over the last two seasons. So to get them to push even further is, in my opinion, is a big ask. But, you know, they have a summer to address that.
1: Michael, what's your thoughts about Bielsa and Leeds in the Premier League?
2: Yeah, I I agree with Daniel. I mean, Leeds are still a huge club, despite obviously the 15 years or so outside the Premier League. Um, And yeah, it'll be exciting to have... uh, Bielsa back at the top level. He's gone quite mainstream, hasn't he, Bielsa? I, I preferred his stuff with Chile, but uh yeah, no, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be fun. I mean the the way they played against Arsenal in the FA Cup game, um I mean they absolutely outplayed Arsenal probably more than anyone's outplayed Arsenal under Arteta for the you know first forty five minutes in particular. So, for those who are doubting whether they can do it in the Premier League, obviously it's, it's different doing it in forty five minutes compared to thirty eight games. But that showed that they can really take or they will take the game to the opposition. But
3: they've got the structure, like Sheffield United had the structure. They're very very comfortable with the the philosophy, and it's a they're a difficult team to play against. Sheffield United are really hard to play against because they are a bit unusual, make the pitch so big when they have the ball and then they shrink it. Leeds are pose a lot of difficult questions for opponents. I think at both ends of the pitch they they, they need to recruit. I don't know if Ben White will stay. Brighton surely Brighton will, will be looking to to maybe use him. Um so they need they need quality at the back and 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 Bamford as much as Bielsa loves him is just not going to score enough goals in the premier league that they have to upgrade in in that position but but as a team they'll be they'll be hard opponents they really will the only, the only
0: thing that slightly goes against them is is the fact that the manager is so kind of culturally notorious when Sheffield knight got promoted there was a sense that they surprised managers with their approach now any of those managers could have watched Sheffield United in the Championship, but they didn't change much. I think it's different with Leeds. I think everyone will kind of know what to expect. Now, knowing what to expect is very different to, to breaking it down and, and dismantling it. But I don't think they'll surprise teams um, like Sheffield United did.
1: Well, aside from Leeds United being promoted, everything else I think I'm right in saying, Adrian, is still to be decided in the Championship with one more round of matches still to come and that's on Wednesday evening. The Totally Football League show will be out on Thursday to cover that but Adrian if you can give us a heads up now. Oh. So in promotion terms you've got West Brom second but they're only one point ahead of Brentford and only two clear of Fulham with Forrest and Cardiff in the other two playoff positions.
3: So much going on, James. It's, it's, going, to, it's going to be a real head spin on Wednesday night, that's for sure. I'm glad we're not recording straight after. Uh, we're, we're going to sleep on it. But yeah, Brentford against Barnsley, massive at both ends of the table. Um, you'd imagine that's, a ba- that's bad news for Barnsley, that, that particular fixture. West Brom have Queen's Park Rangers, who in essence have nothing to play for. But when I look at Queen's Park Rangers' attack... They've got a lot of mavericks there, a lot of flair players that that given freedom and when they can go out and just express themselves and have fun, I think they'll be dangerous opponents for a West Brom team that have definitely tightened up. So that's that's at the top. You've also got, got the playoffs. Swansea are still in with a sniff, but... The, I don't. I think it's a very slim chance because Cardiff uh, have Hull City at home, and, and I can't. I just can't see them blowing it. So Cardiff will probably make the playoffs, and then we haven't even got to the bottom. I mean, any one of, of, of a number of teams could go down, and even the team that does go down might then get a reprieve because of the Wigan points uh, deduction that may or may not happen. So it's it's all a little bit bonkers. But but I, I probably wouldn't want to be a Barnsley fan ahead of the last day because they've got Brentford. But, but but all of them are playing reasonably well. You can make a case for all of them winning on the last day.
1: Right. Hull, Barnsley, Luton, Charlton, Wigan, Borough and Birmingham could all be relegated. Wigan currently 10 points clear, but facing a 12-point penalty after... Uh, well, not because of drawing with Charlton uh, in this latest set of games, but, you know, that's what's meant that they're only 10 points clear. Mm. Uh, meantime, Friday's 2-1 victory over West Brom, which, of course, saw Leeds promoted, saw changes at Huddersfield Town. The Cowley brothers, Danny and uh, assistant manager, his brother Nicky, let go. Uh, Adrian, this, this was
3: something of a surprise for most of us. Was it for you? Definitely. I mean, if Nigel Pearson was a shocker, then this is, this is an equal to that, in my opinion. They've just beaten West Bromwich Albion to survive in the championship. Huddersfield were awful when the Cowley brothers took over they couldn't score, they weren't keeping clean sheets and, and, and they haven't been brilliant, they haven't been that exciting to watch, but they've ground out results and they've got over the line. I just wonder what's happened here. So again, it, it strikes me that something's gone on behind the scenes. They're very thorough, very intense coaches. Uh, Danny Cowley, he, he can go pretty deep and he probably might not be every player's cup of tea. And I just wonder if one or two whispers filtered back to the boardroom about, about certain individuals maybe not being happy, or is it a case of the ownership having a touch of snobbery? Danny Cowley, of course, came from non-league. Lincoln was where they recruited him from. and, and, and maybe they've got ideas in their head that that now that they're safe Huddersfield can suddenly kick on and play the beautiful game and get themselves promoted back into the Premier League with somebody fancier than the Cowleys I don't get it I don't think Huddersfield fans get it 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 could be uh, a big big mistake this this decision they have to get the appointment correct
0: yeah I mean I'm Slightly putting my neck on the line, given that they may well have appointed their new manager when this comes out, but they aren't accepting applications for the job. Um, I think it's fair to say that the Cowleys had a, a huge disagreement with the club about the the amount of control they'd have in the transfer market. Huddersfield are going to lose a lot of players this summer on loan deal, ending, etc. And I think they probably wanted more control than they were going to get. But but if if what I hear is correct and it is only kind of whispers rather than solid rumour. But I think it might be quite a left field appointment. And if, if they do go down that route, if they do go down the kind of inexperienced import manager with no experience of English football and not much experience at first team level, it's a heck of a gamble for a club that's just flirted with relegation for a season from the third tier, you know, to go into the third tier. So I, I, personally, I think it's a massive mistake.
1: Daniel, don't be a tease. So you're talking about a left-field appointment with no yeah, experience. I
0: don't, I don't know the name. I don't know the name. That's what I'm ah. saying. Uh, but I think that's. I think they're going to go left-field on this. I think they're going to go for a kind of rip it up and start again. David Webb there, head of football operations, is also leaving, although that was pre-announced. Um, and I, So I think they're going to try and completely revamp the club in what is probably going to be a five- or six-week close season, which is, yeah, it's a huge gamble. Yeah.
3: Mm. Well, the Cowley brothers won't be out of work long. Let me no. tell you that. They, 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 Bristol City, been, I think maybe. Yeah, they've been successful everywhere. Literally everywhere they've been. So, so yeah, they won't be short on offers. And yeah, Bristol City is is a reasonable fit. I'd imagine. I, I would have thought that that Chris Hughton might have might have got that that gig by now. It hasn't happened. So, so yeah, I can see why they've they're, they're among the favourites.
1: Mm. Shooting up high in the sky, the Cowley brothers. Uh, you'll be back then on Thursday with a big roundup of all the midweek championship news, who's up, who's down, and that. Uh, we'll be talking very, very shortly about the Premier League games coming up in the next few days. But before that, here's Lee Price with producer Ben.
4: Listeners, you've all seen heat, right, with uh, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro sharing some screen time. Well, this is the audio equivalent with added gambling tips. And uh, Lee Price from Paddy Power, please kick us off. Watford versus Man City. Can Watford avenge that defeat earlier in the season with an 8-0 win of their own? And can Man City repeat it?
6: (laughs) You can tell the season's almost over. It's like last day of school, isn't it? Let's start with the usual odds, should we say. Watford to win this match are 9-1. Manchester City are one to four, heavy favourites as usual to take the three points. The draw is nine to two. As for someone winning eight 0 an eight 0 Watford win is two hundred to one. A Manchester City eight 0 win is also two hundred to one. In other words, a real long shot, as you might expect.
4: And finally, lots of angry words from Lionel Messi at the end of Barcelona's defeat to Osasuna, which handed the title to Real Madrid. And then we've all seen those pictures of Gareth Bale looking less than happy celebrating with his teammates. What are the odds, please, of Mr G Bale and Mr
6: L Messi still being at their respective clubs at the start of next season? Both players, Bale and Messi, are odds-on to stay where they are by the time the transfer window shuts. But very different suitors, we think, for each. Messi, as you might expect is 9-4 to, to join Man City. They're the favourites to get him. uva second favourites are 4-1 and some of Europe's elite follow. Whereas for Gareth Bale, it's a very different vibe. Newcastle topped the betting at 4-1 to, to sign him ahead of any MLS team at 6-1. That kind of tells a story, doesn't it?
1: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the PaddyPower Power app. Prices are accurate. At the time of recording, it's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Talking of things coming up this week, we've also got a Totally Football Show European edition out on Tuesday, a little bit later than usual because we're going to be uh, waiting for Juve Lazio, which is taking place Monday night. We'll also be touching on all the other news from around the continent, including Real Madrid crowned champions of Spain. First time since 2017. Now, loads of Premier League uh, coming up in the next few days as well. Monday sees Brighton taking on Newcastle, Sheffield United that same evening are up against Everton. The Blades chasing Europa League spot. Everton, meanwhile, four games now without a win. Crystal Palace are at Wolves, who are equally in the hunt for European football. Then on Tuesday, Watford against Man City and Aston Villa. Arsenal, huge games for the relegation scrap. And on Wednesday, Man United, West Ham and Liverpool, Chelsea. One game that we haven't touched on yet is Burnley's 2-0 victory away at Norwich. Nasty Norwich, who were down to nine men on the worst run of their 118-year history, having lost 10 matches in a row in all competitions. They have also played 18 Premier League games in this calendar year and scored just five goals in those fixtures. Yikes. Norwich, Michael, we'll miss them. I
2: received an interesting tweet late on uh, Saturday morning, actually, Friday night, if you like. They just read, The absolute state of Norwich, a team for sniffy tactics turns to over, which I thought was interesting. And, you know, the fact it was directed at me, I you know, I think I've been implicated in that. But, I mean, I don't think really that, that anyone's been going mad about their tactics. I think most people started this season saying, will's a good player, Buendia's a good player, is a good player. And yet, when you look at their points tally, they're going to end up with the sixth lowest points total in the Premier League era. And the only teams worse than, than them have been an absolutely wretched derby side, the Huddersfield team of last year who were hopeless, Villa of four years ago who were hopeless, and two Sunderland sides who I can't really differentiate in in my mind because they were both so irredeemably awful. And you do have to ask questions of Daniel Farker, not necessarily the fact they're going down, but the fact they really do seem to have completely lost any form of belief. And and the way that they lost on Saturday, obviously with the two red cards, it just points to, you know, a real lack of of discipline, maybe of motivation, maybe of belief in Farker. And I do think that when you get into such a bad run like that, and I don't have the stats to support it, but my feeling is that can continue into next season. And for all the people like me who have been saying, well, they might go down this season, but they'll be in a good position to bounce back next season. When you lose 10 on the trot, I think you have to start questioning Mm that.
0: Yeah, I think I absolutely agree. I mean, I know they've had this plan to basically take the money and run in the Premier League and use that broadcasting revenue to build a training ground and improve the club's infrastructure, etc., etc. But Burnley are the only club really that recently that have managed to do that, to take that money and then rebuild and come back stronger. But Sean Dyche is a very different character to Daniel Farker. And I think Michael's right. It takes a huge effort of man management to turn around that mood. And as, as we've said about lots of things, is going to be an incredibly short, close season. They're not going to have three months to do this. They're going to have two or three weeks.
3: I think Farker has inadvertently cost Norwich City a lot of money in the transfer market because the way that they've played, because his his inability to change their, their approach, to build a stronger, sturdier defensive platform... I think has let down talented guys like Campwell and, and Bredia to some degree. They've just had not had. They've been playing in such a, a despondent side. There's been very, very little service into them, and as a consequence, I don't know whether there will be enough suitors in for them to pay the the big money. And, and you could probably say the same about Ben Godfrey. They, they believe he's worth fifty million pounds. I mean, it doesn't look like a fifty million pound centre half to me. I don't think anyone in that Norwich lineup looks like they're worth. Over twenty, if, I, if I'm being perfectly honest. So, so yeah, I, I just feel that they've been so bad towards the end that they are going to see uh, their transfer kitty shrunk by by player sales this summer. Mm.
1: Tim Cruel will have some suitors, though, I imagine.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, he's, he, well, you know, he's, been, he's been busy. He's been busy, hasn't he? He's made, <laughs> no, he's probably been their player of the year, hasn't he, Tim Cruel? He's made a lot of a lot of great saves. I just don't know. If Still a he's a £5 million, a, million he, goalkeeper, isn't he? Yeah, I don't think he's a, he's a, he's a, he's not a Premier League star anymore. I don't think he's going to bring in yeah too, too much in revenue. Buendia getting
2: himself banned for the first two games of next season probably yeah. won't help him. <laughs> or,
1: <honestly.
3: laughs> yeah, good shout
1: <laughs> Pretty bleak are the prospects then in East Anglian football. We have come to the end of today's show, uh, listener, but as mentioned before, there's loads of other stuff coming up ever so soon with Tuesday's Euro edition with the Totally Football League show on Thursday and with another Totally Football show also on Thursday in which we'll be looking forward uh, to that incredible final Sunday of this campaign and loads of other stuff as well. Many, many thanks to Adrian. It was a delight to have you along today.
3: Yeah, no, good fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it.
1: Excellent. And also to Daniel and Michael and look forward to catching up with you all again soon many thanks as well to producer Charlie listener we're out of here we'll catch up with you soon bye for now
4: you've been listening to the Totally Football Show a Muddy Knees Media production for sales and advertising please email sales at muddynewsmedia.com. keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at the Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too thetotallyfootballshow.com Show.com.
2: Muddy Knees media